Today on Eco Report. Well, there's not another old growth forest like this in an inner city in, in Indianapolis, and it's hard to find another city with one like this. Correspondent Norm Holy speaks with Jeff Stant, executive director of the Indiana Forest Alliance, about his fight to save the old growth forest in Crown Hill Cemetery. Eco Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. And financially supported by listeners like you. Good morning and welcome to Eco Report for WFHB. I'm Glenn Leitner. And I'm Linda Leitner, bringing you environmental watchdog reporting from South Central Indiana. During his State of the State address last week, Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb said he believes businesses are attracted to Indiana partly because of cheap energy. Holcomb went on to suggest the state invest further in coal. Indiana runs on coal. Let's apply technology and innovation to find new ways to unleash this abundant source of power by burning coal cleanly while keeping Hoosiers employed and factories humming. Holcomb's statements come during a time when coal-burning facilities in Indiana and around the country are closing down. Burning coal exacerbates global warming and causes human health problems such as lung cancer. Regulations aimed at reducing those harmful health effects have made coal energy increasingly expensive. For more on the governor's statements about coal, WFHB News Director Joe Crawford spoke with the Executive Director of the Hoosier Environmental Council, Jesse Carbonda. Jesse, from your vantage point, do you think there's still more work to do on clean coal? Is it possible somehow to bring back that industry in Indiana? Well, I think that there are huge economic challenges and environmental challenges to coal's future. Coal has certainly played an important part of Indiana's history. It has a, a fondness on the part of, of many Hoosiers based on, on family heritage, but as we look ahead, we've got to be looking at energy both from the vantage point of jobs and from the vantage point of cost. And in both senses, the real promise for Indiana's energy future lies in clean energy. You look at any cost range for new coal generation, and it is far more expensive than gas. And furthermore, if the goal is for Indiana to try to address its decreasing competitiveness in energy, which has happened over the last 10 years, then the emphasis really needs to be on energy efficiency. It does not need to be on coal. Holcomb did not mention renewable energy during his speech. Carbonda says the state may be about to take a major step back in the area of solar energy. Senate Bill 309 would effectively eliminate net metering, a system that has provided financial incentives for individuals to install rooftop solar systems. On Inauguration Day, police violence broke out at Standing Rock, North Dakota, as law enforcement fired steel-coated rubber bullets, tear gas, 
water cannons, and flash grenades at self-described water protectors. Video taken at the scene that night shows Morton County Police and National Guard wrestling water protectors to the frozen ground as they were attempting to set up a teepee up on Backwater Bridge, a bridge near Dakota Access Pipeline construction sites. On Tuesday, Donald Trump issued a memorandum that directs the Army Corps of Engineers to rush the environmental impact assessment of the project that was ordered by the Obama administration just weeks earlier. The new environmental impact assessment brought construction to a standstill after early December saw as many as 10,000 people camped along the pipeline route in protest. Trump has been widely reported to own between $600,000 and $1 million of stock in the company that is building the Dakota Access Pipeline Energy Transfer Partners. On the day of Trump's memorandum, Energy Transfer Partners stock rose 3.5%. In another example of indigenous peoples using sovereignty and treaty rights to resist industrial infrastructure projects, the Bad River Band of the Lake Superior Tribe of Chippewa Indians has refused to renew an easement that granted permission for Enbridge Partners to build the controversial Line 5 pipeline on the Bad River Band Reservation in Wisconsin. If the aging 64-year-old pipeline spilled on the reservation, it could cause irreversible harm to the band's hunting and foraging land. The pipeline also crosses the Great Lakes at the Mackinac Straits, the point at which Lake Michigan and Lake Huron meet. A spill at the Mackinac Straits could threaten to contaminate both lakes. Three Native American tribes bid together in a land auction and successfully bought 270 acres near the Bear Butte Monument in South Dakota. Bear Butte is considered especially sacred land by various tribes and hundreds of acres near the Butte are owned by native people with tribal entities. The three bidders, the Northern Cheyenne Tribe of Montana, Southern Cheyenne and Arapaho Tribe of Oklahoma, and the Rosebud Sioux Tribe of South Dakota have no plans to develop the 270-acre plot. On Monday, news broke that the Trump administration placed a gag order on the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, by burying them from communicating with the public through press releases, blogs, messages, or social media postings. Some national park websites have refused to cooperate with the silence mandate and continue to make public posts regarding climate change, which is a subject that Trump has removed from the official White House website. On Tuesday morning, BuzzFeed revealed that the U.S. Department of Agriculture has placed another gag order on scientists and other employees in its Agricultural Research Service Division by bearing them from sharing the results of its taxpayer-funded research within the broader public. The Agricultural Research Service Division is the main research agency within the U.S. Department of Agriculture and is tasked with, quote, finding solutions to agricultural problems that affect Americans every day from field to table, end quote. Meanwhile, 2016 was the hottest year since record-keeping began by a wide margin, 1.7 degrees Fahrenheit warmer than the 20th century average. This marks the third consecutive year of record-breaking heat. Deke Arndt, chief of global climate monitoring at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, said of the announcement, in quotes, the fact that we're punching at the ceiling every year now, that is the real indicator that we're undergoing big changes, end quote. 
including last year, 15 of the hottest 16 years on record have occurred since 2001, according to NOAA. No part of the world can now avoid the fact that climate change is striking harder and faster than many scientists predicted and that its impacts are taking a higher toll on the most vulnerable communities, said 350.org Climate Impacts Program Coordinator Aaron Packard. A chunk of ice half the size of Jamaica, which is breaking away from West Antarctica, is now hardly attached to its parent ice shelf, scientists reported January 20th. Covering 1,900 square miles and nearly 1,000 feet deep, the formation is posed to snap off from the Larsen Sea ice shelf, creating, quote, one of the largest icebergs ever recorded recorded, quote, said the researchers in a prepared statement. The rift is likely to break off in the next few months. If it doesn't, I'll be amazed, said Andrea Luckman, a professor at Swansea University in Wales and leader of Britain's Project Midas, which tracks changes in West Antarctica ice formations. Just by itself, the, the gargantuan ice cube will not increase sea levels because it is already floating. The real danger is from inland glaciers. The researchers found that if the glaciers held in check by Larsen Sea split into the Antarctica Ocean, it would lift the global watermark by about four inches. The nearby Larsen A ice shelf collapsed in 1995, and the Larsen B dramatically broke up seven years later. Recent studies have suggested that climate change may already have condemned large chunks of West Antarctica to dis disintegration through whether on a time scale of centuries or millennia is unknown. Meanwhile, in the Arctic, climate change continues to threaten Arctic polar bears with extinction. But the bears are also at risk from toxic chemical pollution, specifically persistent organic pollutants, or POPs. The term POPs refers to organic chemicals currently or formerly manufactured for industrial use, mostly in agriculture and manufacturing. POPs, among which are PCBs and dioxin, are called persistent because they remain in the environment for many years. They're transported to the Arctic by wind and water. A new study in environmental toxicology and chemistry concludes that adult polar bears' bodies harbor POPs at a level 100 times greater than the acceptable threshold of risk for humans. Polar bear cubs' level is 1,000 times greater than that threshold. POPs can cause birth defects and other abnormalities in some species. Polar bears are predators at the top of the food chain, and pops accumulate in their bodies from the ingestion of animals lower down on the food chain. And back here in Indiana, there's a city where motorists are constantly driving in circles, literally. The small town of Carmel has over 100 roundabouts. According to Carmel's mayor, the most common misconception about roundabouts is that motorists will be so confused by the rules of roundabouts that they will make costly mistakes. But the facts prove otherwise. Studies show a 90% reduction in fatal accidents, 80% reduction in accidents with serious injury, and 40% reduction in all accidents at roundabout intersections. When there are accidents, they are typically low impact, at an angle and result in mostly minor damage. Roundabouts in Carmel have cost $250,000 less to build than signalized intersections, and they are also much less expensive to maintain than signalized intersections. Taxpayers are estimated to save $5,000 per intersection per year in electricity costs. 
They also estimate a savings of about 24,000 gallons of gas per year per roundabout, based on federal highway studies, which also leads to reduced vehicular emissions and improved air quality. With over 100 roundabouts in Carmel and the cost of gasoline at about $2 a gallon, together, Carmel residents are saving about $4.9 million per year. And that's the news for this week. For Eco Report, I'm Linda Leitner. And I'm Glenn Leitner. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar energy, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. In today's Eco Report feature, correspondent Norm Holy brings us a report about the fight to save an old growth forest in Indianapolis. This is Norm Holy, Dr. Norm Holy for WFHB. And today I'm interviewing Jeff Stant, Executive Director of the Indiana Forest Alliance. And as our listeners are well aware, there's been quite a controversy about the Crown Hill Cemetery and the sale of about 15 acres of of wooded area to the VA and their intention to bulldoze down some of the 300-year-old trees. So, Jeff, I, there's, I know there's been just an awful lot going on uh, from your point of view trying to stop the uh, bulldozers. Um, so um, what's, what's happening now? Well, uh, as you know, we, we lost the uh, motion for the preliminary injunction. Uh, the the uh, Judge Stinson uh, sided with the VA um, uh, that... Uh, we hadn't shown uh, that we would, uh, a reasonable likelihood we'd prevail in the case. We had shown that there would be irreparable harm, but uh, uh, not enough of a showing that we would prevail on the, case, on the merits of the case. So she won't grant an injunction. We're appealing that decision. We think we would prevail on the merits of the case. We think that the basic requirements of the National Environmental Policy Act were not followed here. They, they, they were supposed to reach out to the community. Uh, surrounding the site, and they were supposed to to look at alternatives, neither of which they did. And uh, so we're appealing to the Chicago Court of Appeals, Circuit Court of Appeals within the 7th District, which which hears appeals on decisions made by uh, district courts in in that district, uh, uh, which we're part of. And uh, um, we're we're in the process of doing that right now. Uh, We'll either... uh, be heard by a panel of judges or one judge, and that that's all that remains to be decided. Um, I'd have to be, uh, uh, well, I, I'd need to be straight up in saying our, our chances of winning an appeal, I think, are, are a long shot. Um, and so what this leaves us with is a case where the judge is willing to hear the merits of the case over the next month or two while the VA's contractors tear the woods down. And uh, that's not acceptable. And so we're, we're still objecting to this publicly and trying to convince the VA to back up and look at alternatives. And uh, we, uh, I, I know that there's a, a, 
a group of uh, uh, inner city constituents approaching uh, uh, Congressman Carson, pleading with him to intervene. I know that there's a, a number of veterans that plan to do that. I know that three top ecologists uh, in the state just issued a report yesterday uh, backing up the state ecologist's opinion of 2006 that the site has inordinate biological value uh, to the state and the city and that it is a, a, a remnant of the pre-settlement forest that once covered central Indiana. It, 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 in other words, it itself is a pre-settlement forest. But as a 15 acres in size, it's a remnant of this forest that once was millions of acres across the state. So, Jeff, uh, question. Um, My my impression is that the uh, that that particular forest is, you know, considering its you know fair size and the fact that it's in a large urban area, that it's relatively unique, if not unique nationally that is there there aren't old growth forests in inner cities in the u.s well there's not another old growth forest like this in an inner city in in indianapolis and it's hard to find another city with one like this Um, we're not talking about in the suburbs or the outer rims of the cities we're talking about in the inner city and it is that does make it very uh, unique and uh, in the words of the, the ecologist very rare and um, you know when you can count the number of, of remnant old growth forests like this that are remnant pre-settlement forests uh, practically you know on both hands I mean there might be 12 to 14 in total so you know you, you, you're talking you know uh, a dozen to 14 different tracks left in the entire 36,000 square miles of Indiana uh, that are these pre-settlement forests. Uh, For the the VA to have issued a finding that there's no significant impact to just wiping out uh, one of those remnant forests, um, it it just goes to why the, the, the National Environmental Policy Act has become a almost a meaningless paper-pushing exercise to have a judge exonerate them for doing that and um, uh, say that it wasn't, it wasn't necessary to look at any other alternatives because there's no significant impact from removing this forest when there's not an ecologist in the state who wouldn't testify that this is an extremely rare forest that, that's worth preserving. If there's any meaning to the State Nature Preserves Act, the uh, law allows... According to Jane Stinson, the judge, uh, the VA, to wipe it out and not look at alternatives, not take into account the past controversy over the site, not do any direct reach out to the community surrounding the site, um, publish only a couple of small legal uh, ads in in newspapers, and uh, post the EA in a library, uh, but not inform anyone make any effort to do that, even when it had a, a the, the record before the court shows that the agency had a, a uh, plan to do just exactly that, to have a public meeting, to flyer the community, to let people know, but decided not to pursue that plan because it had run out of time and would have had to return the money 
that it was using to buy the site back to the federal treasury. So they decided, well, we're just going to junk the public input part and produce this EA and say we don't need to do that. We don't need to do the public outreach. And that's the, the judge has exonerated that position. And so, you know, this is just inappropriate, what's happened, and it's outrageous, and it, it's about to cause a major tragedy to occur, and we haven't given up. We're still, we're still pleading with the decision makers to see reason here and do what's in everybody's interest, including now, the veterans. Let me just check with you. When, when is the hearing in Chicago? Has it been scheduled? Well, it hasn't been scheduled. We're asking for it. Okay. If it's going to happen, it has to happen right away. Now, uh, in the meantime, uh, is the VA actually starting to clear the property? Uh, I've been out there the last few days, and I haven't seen it, but it, it could happen any hour now. Okay. All right. Thank you. Well, uh, good luck uh, yeah. in your ventures oh. here. And uh, I thank you very much for the interview. Uh, I've been interviewing Jeff Stant, Executive Director of the Indiana Forest Alliance, and he's been speaking about the Crown Hill Cemetery uh, project to save the 300-year-old woods. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. You're listening to Eco Report on WFHB, bringing you environmental watchdog reporting from South Central Indiana. Eco Report is currently seeking volunteer journalists who wish to contribute short weekly headlines about ecological issues, issues from indigenous resistance to infrastructure projects to climate change and biological diversity. Commitment is light and you can set your own schedule. For more information, email us at earth at wfhb.org or call 812-323-1200. It's time now for In Nature, a segment focusing on the flora and fauna of South Central Indiana. This is In Nature. That's the call of the common nighthawk. These birds can sometimes be heard at night in downtown Bloomington. Nighthawks rest during the day, but leave their roost at night to hunt for night-flying insects. Nighthawks are members of Caprimulgidae, or goatsucker family. The name comes from the mistaken folk belief that these birds can suck milk from goats. Nighthawks have small bills and catch their prey by flying with the wide mouths open. They also open their mouths wide and hiss when disturbed. Their large eyes enable the birds to see well in twilight. Their feet are small and weak. The central claw is used to clean its beak after feeding. Nighthawks have long pointed wings for agile flight. Nighthawks winter in South America and come north in the spring to nest in North America. The female's nesting habit is to lay her two white olive eggs on the bare ground or on a rooftop. They prefer flat roofs and actually breed better in cities than in the countryside since they don't have to contend with terrestrial predators. However, eggs laid on rooftops can be harmed if high heat melts the roof shingles. Nighthawk eggs are incubated for 19 days by both parents. Hatchlings are covered in down and can move about freely. They are fed regurgitated food by both parents who catch and store the insects in their throat. The young are ready to fly in 21 days and can catch their own food by day 25. The male's mating display is to fly in a swift U-shaped arc to just above the ground then pull upward with a swooshing sound. 
Nighthawks are on the Audubon Society's blue list of bird populations that are suffering ongoing or serious population decline. You've been listening to In Nature. Now a few local events of interest with our weekly event calendar. Eagles Over Monroe will take place at the Fairfax State Recreation Area the weekend of January 27th through the 29th, beginning at 9 a.m. and ending at 10 p.m. each day. For event schedules, registration, and information about lodging and dining, go to visitbloomington.com forward slash Eagles Over Monroe. The Bloomington Community Orchard will host a class on selecting disease-resistant fruit trees on Saturday, January 28th from 2 to 4 p.m. at Hilltop Gardens. The class is free. To register, go to bloomingtoncommunityorchard.org slash classes. There will be a rubble spring hike at Spring Mill State Park on Saturday, January 28th from 3 to 3.45 p.m. On this hike, you will visit an unmarked cave and another karst feature. Meet Tony at the Spring Mill Inn. Sycamore Land Trust is organizing a book discussion group, which will meet monthly at Cedar Crest on Heritage Wood Road in Bloomington. The first meeting will take place on Wednesday, February 1st at 6.30 p.m. to meet, select a title, and determine group logistics. Call Susan at 812-336-5382 or email her at susan at sycamorelandtrust.org if interested. And if you would like to send material or monetary support to the Trans-Picos Pipeline Resistant Effort, you can check out the Two Rivers Camp Legal Defense Fund online. To support the Sabai Trail Pipeline Resistant Effort, you can check out one word, sabitrailresistant.wordpress.com. That wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by Solar Systems of Indiana, designing and installing renewable energy systems. SSI is a member of the North American Board of Certified Energy Practitioners and works to foster the acceptance of solar energy across the Midwest through education and consultation. More information by phone at 812-336-2785 or online at solarsystemsofindiana.com. This week's news stories were written by Norm Holy, Joe Crawford, Aaron Comforty, and Linda Green. The script was edited by Aaron Comforty. Our events calendar was compiled by Julianne Daly. Our feature was produced by Norm Holy. Our broadcast engineer is Matt Griffin, and our executive producer is Joe Crawford. For WFHB, I'm Linda Leitner. And I'm Glenn Leitner. Join us next week when Norm Holy brings us a report about fire damage at the Smoky Mountains National Park. Until then, Eco Report encourages you to take action to defend the earth. You've been listening to the Eco Report, a volunteer powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source. For South Central Indiana. Bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas. Directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is... 
earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org. Thank you.